Just a reminder of the Bible passage, which we kindly had read to us by David and Elaine, um, um, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. And the reason I'm specifically pointing you to that is not just for um, a general focus on the passage itself, but because actually I'm going to be asking us to look back at the verses beforehand as well, the context, because that really helps us understand uh, the words that we're looking at. Uh, Walter Scott, the writer, said, Without courage... There cannot be truth. And without truth, there could be no other virtue. Without courage, there cannot be truth. And without truth, there can be no other virtue. Truth seems to be such a movable feast these days, doesn't it? And this morning's focus is on those two words, courage and truth. And courage and truth are often bound very, very closely together. But the passages focus on courage and truth. And say they're bound closely together very often. And this is what we see writ large in the passage that we have today from Acts chapter 4. We see courage and truth bound together. When Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin, the council. And if you remember recent events before this surrounding their Lord Jesus, they perhaps thought when they were dragged before the council of the Sanhedrin, will history be repeating itself for them? They might have thought as they stood before all these people, will there be two more grim crucifixions at Golgotha in the next few days? So it was a scary time, a very dangerous moment for them. Courage and truth bound up together in this passage today with the actions of these two people. Let's remind ourselves of the context very quickly. So if you've got that scripture in front of you or nearby you, I'd like you to look back to the beginning of chapter 3. Because all the events that we look at in chapter 4 are because of what happened at the beginning of chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 3, we read that Peter had met a man at the gate of the temple, the gate called Beautiful, And he had been lame from birth and was laid by his friends there every day, it says, to beg for money. Peter didn't give him money, but what followed was a Holy Spirit-empowered miracle. And I'm just going to read chapter 3, verses 4 to 10, and you can follow these through. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Some of you olders like me will know that song, uh, that children's song, um, which has the wonderful chorus, those words, walking and leaping and praising God. Well, I'm not going to embarrass myself anymore, but some of you will remember it. That's where it comes from. Accept. <laughs> oh dear, the shame of it. Anyway, following this miracle, 
all the many people who saw it were amazed. And they came running to the place where they were in astonishment. And astonishment seems a big understatement, doesn't it, really, for what had happened. They came in astonishment to see Peter and John. And then it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter's response. And we read what followed. And Peter's response when they came in astonishment to see them was the first declaration of the truth. The one and only key truth of our lives, which is proclaimed in this passage when he says, Why are you amazed? Why do you think it is us who have done this miracle? It is Jesus who, hand, who you handed over to be murdered, but whom God raised from the dead. And it is the name of the risen Jesus who has healed this man and given him back new life. Not us, but the name of the risen Lord Jesus. And then Peter continued to speak to them of Jesus and the good news of the resurrection. The Gate Beautiful, where this happened, was probably the busiest part of the temple. It was the most crowded part of the temple. And it was an area where two gates met together on a corner. And it's an area where the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were allowed from any nation to gather and to come. It's the place where there are all these stores, and it's the place where there were the money changers. You remember Jesus going into the temple and turning over the tables of the money changers. So it was an area where there were loads of different people. Lots and lots of people saw and heard this miracle because of where it was. So back to chapter 4 and into this scene in our passage, March the Temple Authorities. And you will read that it's quite a collection of people. We have the priests, we have the captain of the temple, it says. He was an official who had the oversight of good order in the temple. And we have the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were a small but wealthy, powerful, aristocratic class, all of whom would have had vested interests in power and control, and all of whom were probably working in collaboration with the Roman authorities to maintain this power and control. And this powerful temple group rapidly objected to the commotion that was happening, caused by the miracle that all the people had witnessed, and them all pouring through to see Peter and John. And they objected it to, to it for two reasons. Firstly, they needed to ensure that order was maintained. The Romans were pretty tolerant of lots of different things, but the one thing they were not tolerant of was disorder. And the Romans came down on any disorder incredibly strongly. So they were worried about maintaining order. Secondly, the Sadducees in particular also strongly objected to what Peter was saying because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And to them, for people to be preaching this was a sort of a powder keg of potential dissent and challenge to them, which they needed to stop at all costs. So that is why they took Peter and John away. They put them in prison. It was too late to do anything about it then, so they just left them in overnight. And then they dragged them before the council the next day, a council which included elders and the people like Annas and Caiaphas from the high priest's families, names which would have brought a chill to their hearts when they remembered the trial, the mock trial of their Lord Jesus Christ and the ghastly consequences that had followed that. And this whole gathering 
this pulling them out of the crowd and putting them in prison and putting them before the council, is a terrible example of a party of protagonists, of people who, in order to retain their, their own controlled and vetted interests, would not listen to the truth and also would try to stop other people listening to the truth as well. We don't have to look far in the world to see examples of this happening day by day, do we? Would they buckle? Would Peter deny his Lord again to save his skin? We're just going to have a little bit of a change of pace because I'm going to offer you a few minutes to think and talk together if you'd like to about courage and truth. It's such an important thing to wrestle with. And in a way I can speak from the front and we can take away a few thoughts. But actually this is just hugely, hugely important. What is courage? How do you understand courage? And then how can the Christian find real courage? But also moving rapidly on to the second part, what is truth? Boy, boy, isn't there a lot of debate about what is truth in our media and our world today. Everyone's got an opinion about what is truth. Is it feelings or is there truth? So what is truth and what is the truth that Peter is speaking about here in this passage? Um, Please do just um, dig into those simple but challenging questions. I'm, I'm quite keen just to, 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 to take any brief feedback if anyone wants to, to, to lob any, any, any things out there. Victor. What uh, Victor was saying, that you know, when, you, when you're in a situation, what is courage? Is that I'm right? When you are really, really scared, when you're really up against uh, something uh, and somehow you have to sort of stand firm and stand up uh, by God's grace and face that. Yeah, very courageous of Victor. Thank you very much, Victor, for doing that. Thank you. Yeah, well, as a child, I remember a song about dare, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. I remember mean, as a kid's sort of song about being in the lion's den. And I suppose courage is prepared to be a lone voice when everyone else says something else to be able to say, well, I actually believe this is courage. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Anyone else like to put anything in either about courage or about truth? Um, so we were talking about courage being, um, you know, feeling the fear and doing something anyway. But um, regarding how the Christian can find real courage, um, when you know it's for the sake of Christ and the gospel, um, against every voice, you might look like foolish to the world. But if you know it's for Christ's sake, then that's how you can do it, um, finding real courage as a Christian. That sort of conviction of that keeps you going um, and holding to that. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Truth? Anything on truth? This is a quite a, a can be quite a, a confusing one these days, can't it? Um, uh, we were talking about relative truth, where people say, "Well, that's my truth, but my truth is different from your truth." So you can have your tr- you can have your truth, and I'll have my truth. Yes, there's a lot of that, isn't there today? Is that truth? Um, is that truth? If I feel it. Um, does that make it true? Um, and, uh, and what is the truth that Peter is speaking about? Well, thank you. Um, I'll go away and continue to reflect on those. I've just got a few more words here to summarise on that. 
But this is really, really important. Courage and truth together. And um, Peter and John showed remarkable courage in this place. And actually one of the sort of dictionary definitions of courage is very similar to what Victor said and, and, and uh, what Graham sort of referred to. Basically one of the definitions that you can read about about courage is standing firm and controlling your fear in the face of danger. And often when you are exposed and you're alone, um, that is more, well, you're more exposed, aren't you? You're more vulnerable, aren't you? If you haven't got the support of others around you. Do any of you remember who Eric Liddell was? Um, uh, um, da, 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 da. I should be doing that, shouldn't I? Chariots of Fire, uh, that great film. Eric Liddell um, was a Scottish sprinter and a rugby player, and he was a Christian missionary. And he was born in, forgive me, um, I'm Hong Kongers about the pronunciation, but I hope I get it right. He was born in Jing in China to Scottish missionary parents, and he attended boarding school near London. And this is from Wikipedia, I've just taken this extract, spending time when possible with his family in Edinburgh. And afterwards, he attended the University of Edinburgh. A little um, um, biography there. The film um, focuses all around 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris. And you'll remember, if you've seen that great film, um, that Liddell refused to run in the heats for his favourite 100 metres because they were held on a Sunday. And instead, he competed in the 400 metres held on a weekday, a, a, a race that he actually ended up winning. And he then returned to China in 1925 to continue serving as a missionary. He was a missionary teacher. And apart from two breaks, two sort of furlough breaks, if you like, back in Scotland, uh, Eric Liddell remained in China until his death in a Japanese civilian internment camp in 1945. He was an extraordinary man of courage and truth. And for Eric Liddell, the truth of Jesus Christ was everything. And his utter conviction of and commitment to this truth and his, his utter embracing of the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was a thing that enabled him, empowered him, and encouraged him to serve God and others all the days of his life with such power, love, and peace. I understand that his last words, he, he became ill in this concentration camp in which he was um, uh, confined, but his role in that concentration camp had been to love and to serve all the others there all his time. And he was exhausted and uh, weakened like many of them were. And I understand his last words are something like, will involve saying something about surrender. I've surrendered all. Um, right to the last moment. His life was a life of surrender. And he knew then he was surrendering his life into the hands of God for all eternity. A life of courage, truth and surrender. For Peter and John, fortified by the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit, courage becomes even more than a dictionary definition. Because in addition to standing firm, spirit-filled courage equips and enables the Christian to find that peace, that peace that goes beyond what we can comprehend, even in the face of tremendous odds, because of their total confidence in the one and only truth, which cannot be a different truth for each person. 
That truth that whatever happens, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, has defeated death, darkness and sin, and through him we shall find new life, restoration, total peace, both now in the trials and challenges of sometimes standing alone, but also for all eternity. They could look the devil in the eye with the belt of truth around their waist, Ephesians 6, remember, and they could come out the other side. And that's what it must have felt like for Peter and John in front of the council of the Sanhedrin with all those people who tried and convicted their Lord Jesus Christ. They could look the devil in the eye with the belt belt of truth around their waist and come out the other side. Truth, my friends, is not just experiential. Of course, we can experience something very real, and that's the truth. But it's not just all about our interpretation of internal feelings. Because truth is fact, whatever that truth might be. And the truth of Jesus Christ also means that Jesus is the only way to know God. And we have it again in this passage, proclaimed by Peter, right at the end, verse 12, when he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Remember, Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And friends, this is the mission of the church. This is the mission of you and I, the church of Christ here on earth. This is the mission of St. Matthew's, Bristol, to go and make disciples of all nations. And when Gabby spoke so um, enthusiastically and powerfully about our children's families and youth work at the beginning, this is because there is an urgency for all generations to know what real life means in knowing the risen Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. What are you facing today in your life where you need courage rooted in a fresh conviction of the truth of the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ? I know for some of you this will be huge, far, far bigger than I can comprehend or we can perhaps understand or may ever face. But all of us have our own battle lines of life. It took huge courage for Peter to step outside of his culture and speak boldly to those who thought and behaved very differently from him. I wonder, are there people, are there situations who and which, with whom and, and, and in which we are nervous about or fearful about engaging with in our daily lives or perhaps revealing our faith to? Perhaps we worry about saying or doing the wrong thing or that we won't be able to relate to the people we're speaking to. Well, Peter encourages us not to let fear hold us back, but to trust in the one truth of Jesus Christ and the story of his life, death and resurrection. We are the church of Christ on earth. And the marks of a faithful church is one where Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything. And if I'm right, that rings true into one of the St. Matthew's vision statements um, that has been said and shared over the years. A place where Jesus is everything. A faithful church is one where Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything. Where Jesus Christ is the only way to God. 
and where Jesus Christ is courageously and confidently proclaimed to a lost and wayward world. We're looking at with huge excitement uh, for the next season. We're going to be praying for John in a moment, and we are excited for John that the Lord has called him on to a new place where he can be a round hole and a, a round peg and a round hole for a new season and serve the Lord as he always wants to do. But if it is right for John to be leaving and going to serve there in a new role, it is also right for us, and God has a new season here for us too. Remember, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What do mere mortals do to me? Amen.